Thanks for downloading this message from Devoted, the Christ Central Festival for all the family. Christ Central is part of New Frontiers, and our distinctives are made up of four priorities. Being friends, enjoying God together, building churches empowered by word and spirit, advancing the kingdom, transforming the world, and reaching nations, making disciples. Devoted is just one event, but you can find out more about Christ Central and other training opportunities at ChristCentralChurches.org. For more about Devoted, please visit DevotedEvent.org. Thanks for listening. See you next time. But, uh, yes, so (laughs) notice if you have got children in the children's work and you're needed, then mysteriously and wonderfully... Uh, your name will appear up there. And, uh, and also, on our high-tech, under the speaker is a phone number, which we are trusting you with. <laughs> okay, we have three sessions. We hope you're going to be able to make three, all three sessions. And uh, we deliberately want to put some Q&A on the end of each session. We've built in time for that. And, and so the best way to do it, really, is to text your questions through to that number, which belongs to Joe. Yes, there we go. Rob Horn's wife, Joe. So, it, it, Rob was scared to give you his number, okay? but, you got, you, but you've now got Joe, but Joe is fearless, so you can text any, any questions through, and we will do our best at the end of each life zone uh, to address them. But... Um, but just to give you kind of a, a little bit of a framework to these times together, we're going to do an introduction, uh, which in fact that's what I'm going to be doing now, and then we're going to have an interview, uh, a, just a short interview each life zone, and we've been very deliberate. We've chosen a young couple who are only just married, ah. and we're going to ask them one question. And it's this, what's the one thing you are discovering about each other? We're also going to choose a couple that have been married for decades. And we're going to ask them the question, what's the one thing you've learned <laughs> over the decades? And then we're also going to interview a couple who've been to the very brink in their marriage and have really faced the possibility of real breakup uh, but are still together and we're going to ask them what's the lesson you've learnt uh, because we're so aware that we can't look at marriage just as principles but we've got to kind of bathe it in an understanding with the grace of God and we're very aware and I want to say that up front that this is not the perfect marriage seminar, okay? If you think that's what you're coming to, you come to the wrong place, okay? It really isn't that. We've all failed. We've all made mistakes. Those of us who are speaking, which would be Cheryl and myself, be interviewing a bit, interviewing, <laughs> introducing a bit later, uh, Rob and Joe Horn from uh, Lancaster, from Kendall, and Lee and Stacey Yarbrough, all the way from Mexico, and there'll be, we'll, we'll kind of introduce them as we go along. But all of us, believe you, me, believe you, us, 
have gone through real issues, real struggles, and it's by the grace of God we are where we are. Okay, so please, this isn't about perfect marriage, but it's about finding something together that can just help us press through to all that God's got for us. Okay? Just uh, again, I'm going to do this morning, not every morning, there are some ground rules to this life zone. We take health and safety very seriously on, at Devoted. I hope you have noticed. Let me give you some health and safety okay, guidelines for marriage life zone. Two things to avoid. One is forbidden responses. There are certain phrases you must not say. One of them, for example, is, I told you so. <laughs> okay, so when one of us says something that you, in your infinite wisdom, have said to your partner at some time in your marriage, your response is not, told you so. And we all know that also another forbidden thing, some forbidden actions, because communication isn't all about words, it's about the look. <laughs> okay? And it's about the elbow. Okay? So, no elbows allowed. No, are you listening to this? Take note, this is for you. Okay? Um, what we do want, though, is some correct responses. Just to help you in this, because I think it might be simple, but I think actually it's very important. The first correct response is this. Ask yourself what is my response to what I'm hearing? Don't think, what is my partner's response? Okay, one of the big keys for us all is, is to find out what I should be doing as a husband as a, a, in terms of my response. So, and our aim really is not giving you ammunition. If only you did that, I'd be like this. But our, our aim is to give you material for personal response. And just the other thing as well, uh, in terms of handling it correctly, is take home the principles. The examples may not work for you. In trying to be practical, we will use examples. But examples differ between couples. You know, and, uh, but the important thing is to see beyond the example to see the principle. Okay, so just take an example, just take principle of romance. It might be an example, might be of how, you know, Cheryl loves surprises. Okay? And she, she loves a surprise, so sometimes we pla I plan a surprise. But I know equally that other people hate surprises. Okay? And, uh, you know, we learned that a very hard way once in, a, in the first church we were part of. And it was disastrous, surprise 40th birthday party that totally went wrong because the husband didn't know his wife didn't like surprises. <laughs> okay? So, learn from the principle. I don't have to copy the example. Learn from the principle. And, um, and also, just, as, just uh, to say as well, we will make some generalizations and kind of just look through that. We're not trying to stereotype, but we're all aware, you know, that we're so kind of tight in terms of time and so much we want to communicate and we'll be cutting and pasting a bit 
but just somehow kind of, you know, if you think well, it's a bit of a stereotype, see through that, catch our heart in things, because the outworking of things is a lot more varied and a lot more colourful and a lot more creative. You know, we're each in a unique expression of God's creation, and it's so, so important we understand that. Okay, just to say again, we've not got it all together. Please, please know that we are here by the grace of God. And when we are talking about marriage, we, we re- really aren't talking about kind of the, I say, quote, the Mr. and Mrs. with 2.5 children. Okay, there might be all sorts of marriages in here that have been, you might be on your second marriage. You may not have children. Uh, you might, as I said earlier, you might really be in a very difficult situation yourself as couples. And we don't want to just kind of put out the picture, the postcard, the picture-perfect marriage. We want to try and share stuff that can really equip you, help you, and just, just, just give you some tools that can help your marriage go, grow. Go? Grow. <laughs> grow. Not go. Grow. Okay. That's important. Grow. Okay. And go, of course, yeah. Anyway, enough of that. Let's have an interview. Rob. Okay, um, <coughs> can we have uh, um, Esther and Pete up? So, um, where are you guys from? We have just moved to Lancaster Church, so I've just moved up from Preston. Okay, so, and how long have you been married? <laughs> You're not sure? <laughs> um, uh, just coming up to two years, so we got married in November 2014. Oh, Great, yeah. so these guys then have gone through the honeymoon period and are into now, okay, this is what it likes. it's like living 24 <laughs> hours, seven days a week with another partner, so with someone in your life that in that intimate way. So, guys, the question then is, what have you learnt since being getting married? Um, I think before we got engaged, that both of us had, you know, when you have like your visions for your life and your callings, and we had quite a few difficult conversations before we even got engaged, weren't we? And it just felt like our visions just weren't matching up, and we kind of kept butting heads with it, and got married anyway, like trusting that it would sort itself out. Um, <laughs> and and it has, it's been really tough actually. Like we've had lots of frustrations, lots of tears. Um, just trying to work out, I don't understand how, how the two can be compatible. Like, I'm sure we're meant to be married, but I don't understand why it's so frustrating and like why we're not matching up. And I think just the testimony of how God over the past 18 months or so has, has gently, really gently tweaked our hearts. Like It's not been a case of nagging Pete or Pete getting frustrated with where I am and trying to force the issue, but actually just how God's really, really gently um, led us to a place where we both, yeah, where the visions have met. So I think, yeah, just seeing how God has, has been involved in that. Okay, Pete. Cool, yeah. Um, probably just the learning how our different personalities work and how we work together, really. Um, I think a discovery um, in the last 18 months has been how different we are. And I think actually understanding how that outworks in day-to-day life. Um, we had a, a real breakthrough moment. We did a, um, a personality, or like you did a personality test at work. Which one was it? It was the Myers-Briggs one, if you're into your personality tests. And, um, and um, Esther's one particularly, 
um, it was it was kind of a little bit spooky reading reading the um, kind of the profile of, of Esther's personality type. Um, it was it was surreal how much it was like Esther. And actually, for me, reading that helped me understand where she was uh, and how she worked um, and, and how she was wired and and why she reacted in certain ways. Just to give you um, a few examples. Um, so classically. Uh, in marriages, it's 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 the guy who's like the quiet one, and and the girl who wants to do all the talking and and have it kind of out, and the, and and the guy's kind of quiet, and I need time to process. Well, we're the other way around. I'm the girl in that sense, um, and um, so I like to have it out. I like to talk about it. Um, I want to have that conversation. I want to get get over the issue. Um, whereas Esther needs time, needs to kind of step back. Um, if we kind of and she'll just go really quiet really quickly um, if we're having a difficult conversation. And so a real learning curve for me was actually learning to step back and say, right, we've gone as far as we can in this difficult conversation right now. I'm going to leave it, let some time for Esther to process it. So they're processing of information. And then also just the time as well. Um, so Esther needs time by herself. Um, it's a bit more introverted than me, so needs to disappear off and... Um, have a bath or <laughs> chill out or whatever when sometimes when she gets back from work whereas I want to talk about the day and kind of and everything else so again just learning to adjust to each other in that and those are just a couple of examples but there's loads of other things as well of, of just from yeah learning each other's personalities how that fits together how different we are because you just presume everyone's like you I think a little bit when you're single and then you don't realize so you know how different everyone is in that situation. So yeah, that would be the main thing for me. So just quickly then, Esther, can you, in the same way as Pete has, can you think of any sort of um, changes that have happened? You talked about them changing sort of gently and slowly. So what it was like in the first six months of marriage to what it's like sort of now? It's like coming through that. How has that changed? Yeah, I think it probably is the personality thing. Um, so where. I definitely recharge on my own. Like, I need to have my own space, my own time to recharge. Whereas you, you can recharge around people. Like, you still need your own space. But, um, and so I think I got really, really tired after the first couple of months. And I realised after a while, it's just because I just hadn't been on my own. Like, I just needed to get away. And I think once we realised that, once I put in some time on my own, um, it got easier. Great. Okay, thanks very much, guys. Thank you. Okay, fantastic. What we're going to do today is that we're going to look at marriage for the long haul. Uh, We're going to call it marriage building together. Cheryl and I uh, are going to speak this morning. Um, Over the next two mornings, we're going to address two other subjects. Uh, One is sex and intimacy. And the other is marriage on a mission. And we're not going to tell you, you'll be, if you look in your handbook, we've not told you which morning we're doing the sex and intimacy one. <laughs> okay, but I'm going to be introducing them when we, when we get to that morning. Lee and Stacey Yarbrough from Mexico are going to do that. I can think of no better couple that I know who can do it. And, uh, but I won't say any more about that um, until we get to it. Um, Before we get into the practical bit, and Cheryl's going to kick us off on that, what, again, we're going to do is just take a little bite-sized, kind of a little, yeah, bite-sized theology, really, 
to each of the sessions because uh, it's so easy, I think, particularly in a, 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 a zone like this, which actually we've got so many questions, there, there are so many things to work through. You can so easily jump to the practical things, and we want to do that, and we're going to do that. In fact, it's the biggest slice. But it's so important we're clear on theology. It's absolutely crucial because everything we do in our lives is to come from the revelation that God has given us both first of himself and then of our relationship to him. And in fact, that helps us kind of orientate our whole understanding of marriage because the goal of marriage, the chief end of marriage, is not to live happily ever after. It's to bring glory to God. And that is a critical kind of big one in our thinking, really, because often you can think, oh, you can have this thing of the perfect marriage as the goal. And in that, you can idolise marriage. You can idolise your partner, maybe, (laughs) sometimes. Certainly before marriage, you can do that. And then the idol comes crashing down. Or you can look to your partner to fulfill needs that only God can. You see, in marriage, not every need is going to be fulfilled. It's part of God's provision and wisdom in, in, in fulfilling some needs, but you don't get the answers to everything in marriage. Tim Keller, and I'm going to recommend a book each morning, Um, in the meaning of marriage, unpacks this phenomenally well. And just to give one line from his book, he says this, if we look to our spouses to fill up our tanks in a way that only God can do, we are demanding impossibility. If we look to our partners to fill up tanks in a way that only God can do, We are demanding impossibility. So the chief end of marriage is to glorify God together. It's to worship him, to grow in him, and actually to be together in his purposes. And that's why we are giving as much importance to marriage on mission as we are to some of the practicalities of just growing together. We must see that. So what are just a a theological, almost just some of the big rocks uh, to just set the scene And Paul, Jesus, when they were asked questions about marriage in their day, in their society, their reference point was creation. And I think it's so important we see that, um, that today where a a, a Christian view of marriage would be so undermined in so many different ways and the very word marriage is being re-engineered and redefined. We need to know where do we go? Is there a blueprint? Is Is there a foundation that we can build on? And it is there in the creation account. We do what Jesus did. We do what Paul did. We look there and just, we haven't got time to read the whole account but Genesis 1, Genesis 2 but particularly covers it But just to pick up a few verses from Genesis 1, 26 to 28. God said, let us make mankind in our image. We're made in the image of God, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock, all the wild animals, 
and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. And just a bullet point, you know, that and some of the other scriptures that you read in Genesis 2 and in fact in Genesis 3. We're made in the image of God. Mankind is unique. We are image bearers. That is critical in understanding marriage. We are made male and female. We're both different. And there'll be huge variations. I thought it was lovely, actually. Pete and Esther demonstrated that, okay? You know, Pete, he's the man, but is very different, perhaps, in the way he is as a man to perhaps some other guys. And the same way for Esther as well. It's so important. God's made male and female. Marriage is between different sexes. We need to be careful of stereotyping, but don't lose that distinctiveness of God's design. It's a value, a truth we believe today. It's male and female together. We're made for purpose, to rule, be fruitful. Uh, We're to guard uh, the whole thing of them being in the garden was to guard the garden almost priest-like. The garden was the place of knowing the presence of God. And they had a unique role, as it were, in serving the purpose of God. It wasn't good for man to be alone. He was incomplete without her. And Eve was a helper suitable for him. Now, how we view that is important because sometimes, and again, in fact, there can be books that support this, it's almost like, well, Eve's just there to help Adam out. And that, I believe, biblically, is a wrong reading of it. Adam and Eve were equal together and that actually Eve was a helper that together they would fulfill God's purposes for them. And it's a crucial thing. In fact, the actual word helper is not like, uh, it's not a weak word. It's a very strong word. It's the same word that is found in Psalm 46 where it says, God is our helper. And together, they achieved something that is beyond either of them themselves. They're made to enjoy God's presence. When Adam and Eve came together, and that first day was the day when God rested. And that rest of God is all about the presence of God. I know for me, uh, one of the privileges of our marriage, and I know we're all different on this, but I would say one of the privileges of marriage was that I met Cheryl at the very time when I came back to God. I'd, been, uh, I'd turned my back on God, I'd gone my own way, done all sorts of stuff, and part of God working in my life that time was he brought me back to himself, filled me with his spirit, and I met Cheryl at the same time. And so some of the early times of us kind of being together were actually... In just in worship meetings, in meetings, whatever. And what that did, that put something in our hearts that actually we're not just here for each other. We're here to enjoy God together. We've got to get the priority and the essential of the presence of God in terms of what marriage looks like. 
We're called, we're made for togetherness. We're called to leave, be united, be one flesh. A joining together that is best summed up in the word oneness. Okay? There's a stickability in marriage. There's a covenant. There's a commitment, that cleaving, that joining together. It, 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 it is a togetherness that actually is for life. And then uh, the last thing, we're made to enjoy one another. Okay? They were naked and not ashamed. Okay, after, after Adam named all the animals, we then have that wonderful account of God taking the rib, creating Eve, and what does Adam do? You know, he just bursts into poetry. Shorthand was, wow, this is the one. You know, this is the one. And they were naked and not ashamed. And there's a wonderful intimacy that is unique to marriage. We see it all there in the beginning. We see it under, we see next chapter, chapter 3, we find Satan makes his appearance and both Eve and... <laughs> Sorry, that's... Oh. Must never do in-jokes, okay? Must never ever do in-jokes, but I'm going to do one. <laughs> At that very moment, Paul Mogford, the event manager of the whole of the whole event, who's done a magnificent job. Let's say thank you to Paul. <laughs> but he just made the wrong he made the wrong timing, as I said, and Satan entered. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Should have waited. Okay. okay, sorry, sorry. Anyway, uh, forget that. We'll scrub that off the tape. Anyway, and uh, so. <laughs> And, and sin came in, and it spoiled that relationship. And you, you actually uh, get this whole thing where it is, and, and a, a part of the curse was that the woman's desire will be for the man. And that word means a, a desire to control, a desire to take things into her own hand, and that the man will, will rule will rule the husband, in, uh, no, no the, the, the husband will rule the wife in a way that does not reflect the wisdom of God. And somehow conflict was in there, and you don't need me to kind of unpack that. But almost all of those foundations get challenged immediately in chapter 3. They run away, they try to cover themselves, they're afraid, they hide. But it's so important that our reference point goes back to first creation. We're going to touch on new creation tomorrow. With that, we're going to get into practicalities. Marriage for the long haul, building together, and uh, I want to introduce my lovely what, the wife, Cheryl. Yeah, no, that is you, my wife. <laughs> that is you. I, I really have only got one. <laughs> honestly, honestly. <laughs> okay. Okay, can everyone hear okay? Cool. I'm just going to start my timer. Oh, it's working. I just want you to know I practiced with this this morning on my phone and only took me five minutes. Then I realized I hadn't told a story, I hadn't actually read anything out loud, and I was just looking at my notes. So, clear. Turn your microphone off. 
Oh, turn his microphone on now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So, um, so that you know what's happening, I'm going to cover two areas. One very, very quickly, and actually Pete and Esther did a fab job on covering it, so I shall basically only just mention it, which is about, hey, we're different. And I'm going to lead into a longer bit, which is all about communication, which I'm calling Let's Talk. Um, before I start, I want to tell you a story. So this is it's actually going to take up all of my time. <laughs> I'll have like three minutes at the end to do the principles. Um, so uh, I would like you to go back in your heads two months. So it was Roger's birthday. I know you wouldn't know that, but it was Roger's birthday, and I bought him a huge big box which was filled with a very heavy wooden what, bits. It wasn't made up. And it's uh, a love seat. You know what I mean by a love seat? Where they have those two seats that kind of face into one another with a table that joins them so that those two seats can face slightly into one another. And that was, that was two months ago. And um, so in the box, was in the box still. And I... <laughs> I have been arranging lots and lots of picnic wear and stuff for our kids that have just come back from Sweden and are here at Devoted. And I couldn't find some of the picnic wear, and I was absolutely convinced it was out in our store at the back of our yard. And so I went into the store, and I could see where I thought this picnic wear was. But unfortunately, on top of it was this huge box filled with very heavy bits of wood, now, I only looked for that last week, so two months that box has been sitting there with all the love seat bits that I kindly bought for Rog for his birthday back in June. I'm not actually really bothered about that, but it's, it's part of the story. So I came into the house and said, um, Rog, would you mind just getting the box off all of the stuff and popping it on the floor so I can have a ratch round and have a look for the picnic wear? And he was like, oh, yeah, 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 I'll, um, I'll, do you mind if I do it later? And I was like, no, it's fine. There's no worry. I just need to make sure that I can see it and find the stuff before we go to Devoted. So that was that. I think that was on a Sunday. The next day is Monday, uh, Roger's day off. And uh, by the end of the afternoon, I said to him, oh, Roger, could you, do you mind moving that box? I really, really need to have a good look and try and find that picnic wear for the, for the kids. And he was like... Yeah, yeah, I, I will move it, I will move it, um, but I probably won't get it out into the garden before then. And I was like, no, that's fine, I, I just want it on the floor so that I can get to the picnic stuff. And he was like, right, okay, okay. So he did that, so later in the afternoon it had come out of the store and it was in the garden, which I thought was a bit odd, still in the box, but was in the garden. And I uh, couldn't find the picnic wear anywhere, so, you know, okay. Tuesday night, I went out for supper with a friend, and oh, here we go. Would parents of Lydia Davy from Gateway Church Leeds please return to all tots? Arc tots, if they're in here. Okay. Um, and uh, so, anyway, I went out for supper um, into town with this friend, and we had a very nice meal, we had a few glasses of wine, we came back, and as I walked down our garden path, I could see this really small, bright light. This is quarter to eleven at night, so it's pitch black, and this really small light, and uh, I suddenly realised it was Rog with a head torch on, 
was all this cardboard over the, over the patio and all these bits of wood. And I was like, Rog, what are you doing? And he was like, I'm putting the love seat together. <laughs> and I'm like, I didn't ask you to put the love seat together. He said, no, 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 but I, I just thought I ought to get it done. So he's got the two chairs done, uh, but not that little table bit that goes in the middle. And I was like, okay, that's, that's cool. And he said, we've got a friend, Lee, flying in from Mexico. I just thought it would be nice to get it up in the garden before he comes. Like, okay, that's fine. That's fine. So I went in. About 10 minutes later, Roger comes in, comes in and says it's finished. So I came out, and I was like, great, well done, love. And then I burst out laughing, and I was like, I don't think you've got that right. And he went, I think I have. And I went, I think you haven't. (laughs) Because he'd put the table the wrong way. So he'd put the widest bit of the table and screwed it to the two chairs with the thin bit at the back. So the two chairs were more like a divorce seat. (laughs) They were facing away from one another, not together. (laughs) When I very gently pointed that fact out to him, he sorted it out. <laughs> anyway, the next morning I said to him, Love, I need to say to you, when I asked you to move that box, it wasn't code for, I gave you that present two months ago. You've not done anything about it. Please, will you set it up before Lee arrives? That wasn't that at all. It was just, that box is too heavy for me to move. I need to check where the picnic wear is. And I said to him, Rod, you do know I wasn't speaking in code, don't you? you do know I was just asking you to move a box. And he was like, yes, but I had like an agenda going on. I had a conversation in my head from Monday, which was, I'd really like to get that made before Lee comes on Wednesday. And, and that was what was in his mind. And the point of the story is <laughs> that what we say is not always what someone else hears. And if we don't remember that, we will get ourselves into a pickle. Okay, so uh, very, very quickly... Um, We are different, and we're different because God made us different. And that's fine, and that's how it's meant to be. Um, I grew up, my dad died when I was 13, and I didn't have any brothers or sisters, so I grew grew up and I went to a girls' school in a very, very female environment. I didn't particularly notice that boys were different, but they are different. (laughs) And then I did realize as I got a bit older. Um, And the way that God makes us different is he gives, we have different roles and responsibilities, Um, we're physically different, we have different emotional makeup, there's all sorts of things that we are different in, problem solving, objectivity, subjectivity, and all that kind of stuff. And, um, but not only that, we are different individually. So it's not just that male and female are different, but all females are different to one another, and all males are different to one another. We are all different. And again, that's okay, but if you don't understand that within your marriage... That's excellent what you two said. If you don't begin to understand that, you will actually get trouble, into trouble when you you start communicating. Um, You bring different things into your marriage. You bring different family background, different education, um, different personality and character. And all of those things, making up the person that you are, means that when you communicate with one another you will find that sometimes what you are saying is not always what the other person is hearing. Um, so as long as we understand that, we're, we're okay. I just want to read a quote to you just to under, underline the whole thing about marriage. And it's written by um, 
they're, psych- they're Christian psychologists. It's a couple called uh, Dr. Henry Cloud and John Townsend. And they've written a book called Boundaries in Marriage. <coughs> and right at the beginning, he says this, or they say this, in the process of knitting two souls together, it's easy to tear the fabric. And read that again. In the process of knitting two souls together, it's easy to tear the fabric. And you know what? In marriage, it's super easy to do that. We can tear at the fabric of our marriage if we're not careful. So let's talk. Definition. Communication is how we interact with one another verbally and non-verbally. It's a two-way street. uh, Speaking and listening. Hearing. Um, And it sounds so easy. (laughs) No, it's not. Because of the baggage we bring with us, because of who we are, it is not as, as easy as that. But Communication in our marriage actually should be based on the same foundational truth that communication with anyone as Christian is based on. Um, So I'm going to read something in a minute from 1 Corinthians. But just to say that when we communicate with one another, with our marriage partner, we have so much more emotional investment in that relationship. That is why communication can become so tricky. So tricky. So, have you got my iPad? Can you just open my iPad? (laughs) Okay. I just want to read from 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And just skipping on a little bit, it says, When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Very easy in marriage to stamp your foot and forget that you're now a grown-up. <coughs> when, uh, when Roger and I were first married, we, um, we were teaching at the same school and we drove to work together and we listened a lot to this particular tape on communication. And it gives you five levels of communication. And, and the first one is this, using cliches. And by the way, all of these levels are valid one is not better than the other. They're all valid, but they are different. So this is like the lowest form, using cliches. So up in Cumbria, everyone just goes, hi, you all right? And because I'm a southerner and moved up to Cumbria, I thought people were actually genuinely asking me if I was all right. And so I always have a conversation, yes, I'm fine, thank you. And, and how are you? Are you having a good day? And actually, all they're saying is hello. So I learned that one. That's just a cliche. Hi, you all right? Uh, reporting facts. This is a fact. My husband won our local football fantasy league last year. That's a fact. So no one can argue with that. You might have been robbed, but it's a fact. Um, The third one is expressing opinions. So we could say something like, oh, I think Team GB did great at the Olympics this year. Someone else might say, yeah, but they could have won a few more medals, but I'm expressing an opinion, they're expressing an opinion, that's third level. Fourth level is sharing feelings, like I'm happy about this, I'm sad about this, I'm concerned about this, whatever. Uh, 
Number five is total honesty and openness. This is so bad, I just don't know if I'm going to get through this. How are we going to do this together? Okay. All of those levels are valid, but you don't use number five all the time. So when you get up first thing in the morning, you don't necessarily want to be totally honest and open. You might just want to use the cliche. You all right this morning? Sleep okay? You know, so we need to be aware of the different levels of communication that are appropriate for whatever our situation is. Um, so the more emotional investment you have with someone, i.e. your marriage partner, the more vulnerable you become. You don't need me to tell you that. And that's why divorce happens, because there is so much emotional investment that's gone on. If things go very, very badly wrong, the person you love the most becomes the person you hate the most. And that is because you're emotionally invested so much with one another. Um, so our relationships as husband and wives consist of covenant love, historicity, you know, what we bring with us into our relationship, um, a sexual relationship, and, and understanding our differences. All those kind of things make up our communication patterns. Um, so I would say that our communication together as Christians, and therefore very, very specifically as husband and wife, is based on love. It has got to be based on love. So Ephesians 5 says this, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. So when we think about that 1 Corinthians passage, all those different things about love, that's the kind of love that we are wanting to express within our marriages as we communicate with one another. So communication, num number one, if you're taking notes, I would say is sacrificial loving and serving. That is our communication. It's just not what we do. It's how we speak to one another. Um, so we don't want to speak like children. We want to speak like grown-ups. Okay, so we want to be based on love. <coughs> That's point number one. Number two, there are two people in every one conversation. Clarity is quite important when you're speaking. You see, you know what you mean. And when you say it, because you've said it, you think they know what you mean. That's not true, is it? You know, you end up thinking, I, I, why, why did that go? No, but I said, oh, but... And what you're doing is, you, you know exactly what was going on in here. The words come out, and what's in their head is, is they haven't heard the same thing that you're thinking because they can't see inside your head. They can only hear your words. So um, don't make assumptions. Don't make assumptions. Try and clear up things. Uh, number three, don't use war words. Uh, Mark and Grace Driscoll say, always and never are war words. I'm catching lots of little glimpses going on here at the moment. Yes, eyes this way. Remember what Roger said. <laughs> uh, here's another war word that I think, if only... If only you'd done that. If only this is doing it. Blah, blah, blah. But always and never are generalizations, and they're simply not true. You know, your husband, I know, might not do the washing up sometimes, but I'm sure it's not true that he never does the washing up. And so one, once you begin, begin to make those generalizations, you polarize one another. Another really important thing and part of this is don't ever 
use trait trait names with one another. Don't ever say to your partner, you're an idiot. Now, there might be some truth in that at times. <laughs> but the point is, when you call someone an idiot, you are reducing their identity to their behavior. And our identity is Christ. We are not idiots. Right? We're in Christ. Okay? Our behavior might be stupid. That's different. You talk about behavior. You don't, give, you don't call them a trait name. All right? Words go inside your head and can lodge very easily. Okay? Very easily. Um, so don't reduce your partners to their behavior. Honesty, number four. There is a current thought out there at the moment that honesty at all costs is the way to go. That's not true. Don't do it. Um, covenant love, Ephesians 4:15, Ephesians 4:29. Covenant love, as we speak the truth in love, covenant, uh, Ephesians 4:15, speaking the truth in love. Skip to verse 29. It builds up. It doesn't tear down. Truth and honesty builds up. Truth. This. It's very hard to say what is the truth, okay? It's your perceived truth. It's really critical that we understand this because your perceived truth is not necessarily the truth, okay? It's hugely, hugely important that we understand that because if we don't understand that, you will think you are right all the time. That's just not true. Um, And what will happen is you will become critical and you will speak critically to other people and you are not speaking the truth in love with the purpose of building up. Uh, number five, conflict resolution. Oh, this is a difficult one. Be angry. Be angry but don't sin. Well, that's hard enough anyway. Uh, and don't let the sun go down on your anger. This is often quoted. Oh, I've only got one minute, 28 seconds. Um, okay, I find this incredibly hard to... Um, to do. So, Roger and I, when we were taught about this years ago, like, you should sort out an argument by bedtime, by the evening. The whole thing, because we are different, um, uh, well, actually, we are sort of quite similar in some ways. So, we're a bit hedgehog people, if you read Nikki and Silla Lee's marriage course. We're sort of a bit hedgehoggy. And so, if, if we get upset, we tend to withdraw and put the prickles out and find it really hard to talk with one another. And so if you do that, it's really hard to get over that in like 12 hours by the time you've gone to bed. So what we, <laughs> but I'm not sure if this is biblical or not. However, however, we have found that once we've begun to understand that we're different, that, well, we're similar in that reaction, is as long as we know that and we're trying to keep as short accounts as we can with one another, then even if we've gone quiet because we're struggling with something, we have now we've been married enough years to begin to understand ourselves that we will deal with it the next day or maybe the next day after. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to lift condemnation off you because sometimes people say this in a marriage seminar and you go like, oh my word, well, you know what, it's nine o'clock and I still don't like him. It's ten o'clock and I'm so angry he did that. And eleven o'clock, oh, I'm just going to ignore that temporarily. Very, very quickly. Um, but, and, you go, and you can go to bed and you can have your backs to one another, whatever it might be. And you know what? As far as I'm concerned, that is okay as long as 
you know that tomorrow you will be in that frame of mind where you have been able to talk. Because sometimes we just find it too hard to talk. So, he's not telling me to stop his... <laughs> okay. um, uh, conflict resolution, that what you need, you just need to know, if you're wired differently, you will deal with conflict differently. And so you need to begin to understand one another so that as you talk with one another, you understand how you're going to sort that out. Um, And just one very silly little thing. Oh, no, this is a big thing. Learn to take responsibility. The Bible is so clear that we are responsible for ourselves, not for our partners. Okay? So when you're having an argument, you need to take responsibility and try and forgive as quickly as you can, and you need to accept their forgiveness as quickly as you can. Okay, so you need to take responsibility. Um, Technology, this is a silly little one. It can be a hindrance, it can be a help. So if you're apart from one another, FaceTiming and um, texting, phone calls, all of that are really good. If you spend all your life on social media and communicating with the whole world, but not your partner, that's not very good. So in conclusion, um, we're different and that's okay. Number two, communication. Words matter. The words we use and the actions we take, the behaviours we exhibit, they matter. Um, Communication is the delivery system for what we want to deliver. So be careful with how you use the delivery system and with what you are delivering. Um, Number three, let's grow in fruits of the spirit communication, not works of the flesh communication. So love, joy, peace, patience, self-control. Let that motivate your communication, not anger and all the rest of it. Philippians 2 says, look to your partner's interests. Look to others' interests, not just your own. And number three, let's remember, be careful with one another. Our marriages are woven from all different bits of cloth. And some of the bits of cloth are really, really weak and they're delicate and they need care. And some of the bits of fabric are really tough and hard-wearing. And they don't need so much care. They can take a lot of punishment. So just going back to that quote, in the process of knitting two souls together, it's easy to tear the fabric. So let's be careful with our marriages, how we talk with one another, because it's easy to tear down and not to build up. Okay, great. And just looking at Joe, have you got any questions coming through? Okay. Um, I, I'm going to just do another 10 minutes, okay? And remember, this is Marriage to the Long Haul. Looked at, let's talk, you're different. Okay, these two big things. I just, uh, there are two other things I just want to touch on quickly. One is that we change. You may have noticed. You know, when Cheryl said, I do, or when she married me, or we married each other, <laughs> but w- when we got married, there you go, in, in 1977, 39 years ago, I had long, wavy hair. Uh, I had flares that kind of took off in the breeze, and all sorts of things. We've changed. And building for the long haul means actually loving through the changes. And there's all sorts of reasons why we change. We change physically. You know? Bits of our bodies rearrange themselves. 
okay? It just happens, you know? And some, uh, you know, some bits get saggier, uh, some gets get bigger, and anyway, you don't need me to explain. But bits that physically we change, emotionally we change. You go through situations in life and it affects you and we change. Circumstances of life means we change. Some of you might live through redundancy, unemployment, or just difficulties in terms of family, or, or not being able to have family. All those things affect your life. But as well as that, we live through seasons of life. Life isn't just the same old thing again and again. It, there are seasons of life. There's autumn times, there's spring times, there's winter times, there's summer times, there's times when it seems everything closes in. There's times when it seems like everything is just kind of about to kind of happen. Loving each other through the changes is critical. Someone once said, you know, I, I've fallen in love six times in my life and they're all with the same woman. And learning to love is critical through the changes. Every one of you are getting older. I'm <laughs> sorry, Pete and Esther, but you are. <laughs> You've married two years now. That's old. You know? and, but, and learning to love is critical. Just a few headlines and on, on this. But remember that love is not just a feeling, but it is an action. Okay, the Bible says knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. It's a building word. And we're going to give a real, it's the giving of one another to each other. It is sacrificial. It's doing what is best for the partner. Feelings come and go. And they will come again. There are some times when feelings can be very thin. Well, you don't judge your marriage by that. You judge your marriage by love, by the giving of yourselves to one another. And that is critical. In loving one another, know what does your partner good. And I think this ties into the understanding of one another, which has been a bit of a theme throughout this morning. Know how to express love to one another. And just a, a practical thing on that is the love languages that Gary Chapman uses and talks about the five different types of love languages. Time, uh, gifts of service, physical touch. It's not just sexual, but just kind of just touch. Um, gifts, service, time. There's five of them, okay? <laughs> There's five of them out there, okay? Uh, and because I forgot what all five were, but I remember them all now, I actually went online uh, literally a week ago to, to, to just looking at this, thinking, I wonder if there's a questionnaire to fill in that kind of you can help find your love language, because it helps. Because if your love language is receiving gifts, but your partner is actually time, then if you don't understand what, how your partner, what is loving to your partner, you operate from your own agenda. And it's so important we understand that. It's a tool to help us in loving one another. You can check that out online. 
talk about the changes. Love one another through the changes. Talk about the changes. Cheryl and I are in that stage of life where we've got adult children and they've all left home. That's affected us. The, the conversations, you kind of think, boy, we're having those conversations now. Because we don't feel that old. Man, look it. But you need to talk through the changes. I've asked Cheryl's permission for this. Cheryl's going through the menopause. And has been for some, for some years now. That's changing her. And that affects us in our relationship. We've had to talk things through in terms of how that impacts us. Appreciate each other in the changes. Can I just say these two things? Appreciate each other, honour one another in the changes, but just kind of keep your sense of humour as well. Okay, let's not take ourselves too seriously. There's always things to laugh at. There really is. Okay, especially your partner. <laughs> keep your sense of humour. But keep humble, keep teachable in the changes. I think one of the biggest dangers to, that stops marriage growing is when you think you know it all, or you think you've got all the answers, or you think, oh, I know my partner, and you assume things too much, and you just get stuck to a place where you can no longer talk things through. I think it's brilliant, you guys, at your point in your marriage, are having those sorts of conversations. Not everyone does. It's brilliant. If you're at the other end of the spectrum of marriage, say we've been married 39 years, keep Open, keep talking. Keep that humility where you can actually... I, I, I would say, actually, Cheryl and I have talked more honestly about some things over recent years that have been painful to us both than we did in the early years. It doesn't stop. Keep that going. Also, in just the changes you go through, recognise the... Just a season of life. There are seasons of life that, you know, if you've got kids and you've got young kids, if you've got all, like we had young kids at one point, all under six, it was crazy. Five, all under five. Just going shopping was crazy. How do you do it? Getting in and out of a car was crazy. It just getting out the door was crazy. It was silly time. And then they all became teenagers at the same time. And there's at one point when none of them were just not yet able to drive. We were the taxi service. And then suddenly, they're all gone. Recognise the season. Bill Hybels in his book, Simplify, uh, is brilliant on this. He says that if you don't recognise the season, if you recognise the season you're in, it equips you to be fully present and engage, and it gives a single-minded clarity to your days. You're more likely to notice God's active hand and to learn the lessons he has for you. Okay? Identify where you're at. There's challenges to it all. And then work together in that setting. Recognise the season. And then just to, literally just to finish 
So that's three things we've done. We're talking about understand your differences. Let's talk. Okay, loving through the changes. Notice the changes of life. And then just the, the, the final thing, which is vital in terms of marriage for the long haul, is watch out. Watch out for the dangers. There's a danger without, and that's adultery. Okay? Let's watch out. And there's a danger within as well, which I'll just come to. With adultery, it's a sobering lesson from Scripture that King David, Solomon, uh, and others, it was the pl- it's Samson, the strongest, the wisest, the greatest king, as it were, these, they stumbled over the issue of immorality. And we are foolish if we think we're immune from it. And we've got to guard our own hearts on it. We've got to recognise, are we looking forward to time with someone else more than our partner? Are we finding in that understanding say with someone at work that there's someone there there's a lady there she just has got time to listen she understands she's not tired the same way as my wife is and all that somehow there's an emotional connection going on there that is just kind of beginning to make you feel very good with that person most acts of adultery start that way it's not just jumping into bed with another person. And it's critical we understand that. Be honest with what's going on in our hearts. Let's guard our eyes. Men, that often is more of a challenge for us. Not uniquely, but men, guard our eyes. You, we know what it's like to look lustfully. And that can feed an image in our mind. And that just feeds and just something grows. Guard our hearts. Watch out from the enemy without. Play safe. Let's be honest about temptation. Know your weaknesses. If you find yourself vulnerable in a relationship or vulnerable at a certain time of the day or vulnerable even with the TV, with the computer, because they can be, you know, the other person in a relationship these days. Know your weaknesses. If you're struggling there, can I urge you, be accountable to someone. Know there's grace. If you're struggling, I, I guarantee it that there's some, at least some people in this room, you're struggling with something in that area. I guarantee it. Share it. Make it a point this weekend to say, hey, I need help. And then just the other thing to watch out for is, is what I've, is, is the enemy within. If adultery is a d- danger from without, as it were, it's like the other person, sometimes within a marriage, there can be something that takes root, and it's bitterness. We all go through difficult, hard times in marriage. We can all get offended with our partners. How you handle that, there can be pain, there can be upset, 
There can be annoyance. There can be all sorts of things. But don't let that end in bitterness. But as well as that, as couples, some things can happen to us as a couple that hurt us. And some couples, tragically, and it's a danger for us all, can feed together on that hurt and can feed together on that offence. And it's almost as though the world's against them. And they pull up their defences and they can feed on the bitterness together. Don't do it. The root of bitterness defiles many. And we're going to be looking at marriage isn't just about, it's not just for ourselves. It's for God and it's for others. <laughs> okay. And if we let bitterness rule in our marriages, it robs something from what God's got for us and it robs other people as well. It defiles many. Okay, four things. Not exhaustive, not comprehensive. We're here, we could have done one thing, one morning on each of those four things, but I hope that helps. Marriage for the long haul. Four things to remember. Right, now we've got, if you are happy to bear with us, we started five minutes later uh, to allow time for registration. We've certainly got five, ten minutes at the most time for Q&A. So, Joe, are you going to come be our questionnaire? Our question master. Our question. Yeah. Uh, so we've got um, a couple of questions texted in, but also do feel free to stick up your hands and ask a question. I will run to you with the microphone. Um, so my handy helper here will run to you with the microphone. Um, so first, you guys, you're on come up. Yep. This is a team. Yep. <laughs> Stacey, come and join us. Um, so the first question uh, was out of something you said, Cheryl. You talked about um, honesty not being at any cost, which, which jumped out at me as well. Thank you for saying that. That was very helpful. But can we unpack that a little bit? When, maybe with some examples of when maybe a lack of honesty might actually be wise. The one that springs to mind is, does my bum look big in this? <laughs> Be careful, husbands, what you say. Um, uh, just to say that in Proverbs 12, there's a couple of verses there very helpful. That one says, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. So we need to be super careful. And then there's another one um, um, that's a bit further down that says, Proverbs 12:23 says, A prudent man conceals knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaims folly. And the thing is that we are, all of us, because of the time we're born in, we're subject to societal norms that go on that are different now than they were, let's say, 50 years ago. So 50 years ago, most people... in a, particularly in a marriage, you know, stiff upper lip and all of that, wouldn't really say much to one another about things. Nowadays, in our, in our society, it's becoming, much, it's becoming taught, actually, in many, many self-help books, that the more open you are, the more honest, the more vulnerable you are, the better your relationships will be. And there's obviously truth in that. Um, I think a huge time where you... Well, A, you need to know that honesty is not 
the honest, the truth. It is your perceived truth. And that's why you need to be careful with it. Because if you just go out and say whatever you think to your partner, you absolutely, totally just may not be right. Because it's how you've perceived it. It's not necessarily what is correct. Um, and you, you just never say anything, even if you feel it very, very deeply, when you're angry. Because if you say things when you're angry, they're like sword thrusts. And actually, you could be correct. So you could be honest, right? And you could actually be dead truthful. And it could be a pretty black and white truth. But if you say that with anger, it comes with a passion that is so unhelpful. And the thing is, once it's said, you cannot get it back. And you might want to, but you can't. And words lodge. So I would say... There is wisdom in the timing of things. If you feel them very deeply, so this is where Roger and I, I think have learned in the last few years. There's things before we have just kept to ourselves and just gone to God, and then eventually you leave it and you forget about it. But actually, it's better to deal with it if you can, but it's the way you deal with it and the timing that you deal with it with one another. You need to make sure you dialogue, not have a monologue. Yeah, I've got one quick. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah, I, just one thing to add to that. I don't think that honesty is a sole virtue or a, a virtue on its own. I think it's always to be partnered. It's honesty with love, honesty with wisdom, honesty with grace. Okay, and I think, you know, Charles answered that so well. But I think if you, you need to partner honesty with the right thing. Otherwise, it can be brutal just to add one small thing that came to my mind when Cheryl was speaking, I think that uh, often she's right, we might be right, we can see something in our partner, we might be right mm. but, um, but the Bible asks us a different question, it says, is there a plank in your eye? Yeah. Um, and I think when we can see a, a fault genuinely maybe in our partner, a better question to be asking ourselves is but where does my character stand? Um, and uh, that is a more helpful uh, approach very often. We need to remember to lead ourselves um, first and foremost. Um, so another question. Uh, do we have any practical examples of here for inevitable changes, foreseeable changes uh, in our life? When we're talking about the longevity of our marriage. So for example, maybe children leaving home or, or whatever. I'll go. Oh, no. <laughs> I think we're going to answer the same thing. We'll just see. Yeah. Um, Roger and I found it the most helpful thing in preparation is to look at other people. Is that what you were going to say? There you go. That's what comes of being married for 39 years. No. <laughs> um, from, from before we got married until right now, we always have our eyes open. Um, on other people, <laughs> not in a nasty way. <laughs> I'm looking at you. Um, but in terms of observation of good practice. So before we got married, we asked questions, we looked at people, we saw their marriages, we looked at their kids, and all of that. We're like, oh, that looks really good to us. That fits in with what the Bible says. We'll do that. And, and the, the older you get, and the different seasons you go through, you begin looking at different things. I'm no longer looking, particularly, at 
you know, young couples with little kids in terms of helping myself, apart from as a grandparent maybe. Um, and even then I don't. I look at other grandparents. Like how do they, what do they do with their little grandbabies? So I think the more that you can observe people that you respect and you want to emulate, that prepares you for ever season. It helps to repay for ever season. And be a lifelong learner. Yeah. You know, I mean, that comes from my teaching background, but you know what? It's so true, isn't it? Honestly, don't think you've all got it together, even if you've been married for a really long time. So, be a, yeah, be a lifelong learner. I think sometimes, I mean, we know that um, life is cruel and it can throw you curveballs. That's kind of an American expression, I guess. <laughs> Uh, something you just can't quite hit or grasp. And so, of course, in marriage, as with singles, um, you just hold on to the Word of God. And the beautiful thing about being married in Christ is there are two of you that are holding on to the Word of God and then holding on to one another. And um, there's many things in life um, that I've gotten through better because I am married. I think Pat's got one more question. Is there one, is anyone, this is your moment, (laughs) this is your opportunity, has anyone got another question before we close? No, nobody, you're all fully prepared. (laughs) Okay, Okay, good. Okay, um, thanks so much for being here. Hope it's been helpful. We're, 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 we're scratching tip of iceberg stuff. And i just say, there's books, or, uh, there's all sorts of marriage books at the front that have been resources that we've dipped into. That is not a bookstore. They're kind of our personal books. <laughs> okay, okay so, um, so please have a look there. I know sometimes it's good to look at a book before you buy one. So they're there, have, they'll be there for all three mornings. Been great being together and uh, look forward to seeing you again, okay? Excellent.